Well, how many of you like roller coasters? Let me see a show of hands. Or you liked them as a kid. Okay, man, almost everyone at 10 liked being on a roller coaster. I guess the, the 1015 service has got the daredevils. Maybe 1130's got the, the scared, I don't know. I don't know what you call it. Uh, I loved roller coasters as, as a kid. Uh, I could not stand, however, this ride called the Scrambler at Joyland. I grew up here in Lubbock and they had this ride that you were, you were in a cup that turned, on an arm that turned, on a bigger thing that turned, on another thing that turned and everything was turning and they called it the Scrambler and it was called a Scrambler for a reason because it would scramble your mind and your stomach. And every time I got off that ride, I would throw up. No matter how hard I tried, I would throw up after being on the Scrambler, but I loved roller coasters. And so I loved riding the, the Texas giant at Six Flags. I wanted to ride the, I loved riding the Rattler at uh, Fiesta, Texas in San Antonio. I loved riding roller coasters, but it had been a while since I'd been on a roller coaster. Uh, probably about 20 years since I've been on a roller coaster. And I had some friends take uh, Darby and I to Vegas a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we went on a roller coaster there in Vegas. And you know, if you're going on a roller coaster, you know what's about to happen, okay? You don't know exactly, but you know you're gonna go up. You know you're gonna go down you know it's going to turn, you know you're probably going to go upside down and the whole time you're just going to be hanging on for dear life, right? I mean, that's what you know is going to happen on a roller coaster. So I didn't know, you know, it'd been a long time. I didn't know how I would respond on that roller coaster. And listen, that's life. Life is like a roller coaster. It goes up, it goes down, it turns you around, it takes you upside down. And the question is, how are you going to respond on the roller coaster of life? Daniel and his friends here in Daniel chapter six, by this point in time, have gone from the palace in Judah to the pit in Babylon, back to the palace, back to the pit, back to the palace. And now they find themselves in a weird spot and another difficult place on this roller coaster. And we're going to see how once again, Daniel responds when things don't go his way. So if you got your Bible, go to Daniel chapter six. We're in a series called Kings and Kingdoms, where we are walking through the book of Daniel. We're studying the book of Daniel verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And so if you've missed any of the series, jump on our app or our podcast and catch up because we don't have time to like catch you up on everything that's going on uh, to this point. And so here in Daniel chapter six, here, here's kind of the big things though. Here's the big things you got to know. Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, those are their Hebrew names. You, you probably heard their Babylonian names more often. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves as exiles, captives in Babylon. They were in Judah. They were in the extended royal family. And God Daniel one says, delivered Judah into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, into the hands of Babylon. God brought Babylon, brought Nebuchadnezzar to wipe out his people because of their continued idolatry, hundreds and hundreds of years of idolatry and sin that they never would turn from or repent from. And so God brought the penalty, the fine for breaking his law. It comes just like Brandon preached about uh, last week. Our days are numbered and one day the door on the ark is gonna be shut. The fire is going to come down on Sodom and Gomorrah. One day Jesus is going to return and our days are numbered. One day the penalty for our sin and wickedness will ultimately be realized. Our days are numbered. And so the days of Judah, Israel and Judah's sin were numbered. And God brought Babylon, God brought Nebuchadnezzar against them to destroy them and took some of the survivors from the royal family into captivity into Babylon. Now the Medo-Persian empire has come to power 
Its ruler is Cyrus. He's the empire over the nation of Persia, the empire of Persia. Now here in Daniel six, we read about Darius. And so some scholars think Darius and Cyrus are the same person. This is the ruler of the Persian empire. Some scholars say, no, Cyrus is the empire over all of Persia. Uh, Darius is like the installed governor over Babylon, the area around Babylon. And so maybe he's the, the king of Babylon, but Cyrus is really the, the emperor over the nation of Persia. We don't really know that, but in Daniel chapter six, we've got Darius the Mede, it says here in verse one, is in charge. He's in power. Now, we've also got in the book of Daniel, the SOB, right? You remember? Okay. The SOB is not the person you can't stand in your life. Okay. That's not it. That's not the person that's difficult at work. That's not the SOB. The SOB in Daniel is the spirit of Babylon. It's the spirit of Babylon. So not only is Babylon like a physical in time and space nation and kingdom, there's a spirit behind Babylon that we get insight to in the book of Daniel that goes all the way back to Genesis when the people of Babel constructed a tower to get to God, to make their own way to God and to make a name for themselves. And that's what the spirit of Babylon is always doing, leading us away from God, stealing worship away from God, creating a counterfeit God and creating counterfeit ways to worship and serve God. That's what the spirit of Babylon is always doing. It's always standing against God, defying God and leading us in rebellion against God. And in the end, in the book of Revelation, it says it's the spirit of Babylon that's at work in the Antichrist, the beast who will lead people away from God, command their worship and kill them if they don't worship him. Will declare himself to be God. It's the Antichrist. And, and Revelation says and, and kind of shows us what's going on behind the scenes. This is again the spirit of Babylon, which is what Satan is doing. It's a satanic, demonic spirit that leads people away from God, leads people to oppose God, and will be behind the beast, the Antichrist, and all those who oppose God in the end. And in the end, when Jesus returns and decisively defeats the beast and all those who have followed him, it says, fallen is Babylon the great. You see, Daniel isn't about just what happened. It's about what is happening and it's about what's going to happen in the end. And next week in Daniel 7 and the week after that in Daniel chapter 8, you're going to get an even better image and clearer picture of that. But the spirit of Babylon is always at work to lead us away from the worship of the one true God and to offer us and entice us to follow a counterfeit. And so you've heard me say in this series, I, I believe we're in the last days. Now, I, I don't believe that because Biden's president or because we're wearing masks, or because there's a vaccination we all need to get, or because there's Californians moving to Texas, okay? I don't think we're in the last days because of those reasons. It's actually a totally different reason. Uh, it has everything to do with Israel. Israel's kind of the time clock and what began in 1948 when Israel became a state. So, so uh, we don't have time to go into all that, but those are the reasons why I believe that we're in the last Days, But regardless of whether you think that or not, you and I need to know how to be faithful worshipers of Jesus in our Babylon, in our Persia. Regardless of what age you're in or what age we find ourselves in, you and I as Christians need to know how to be faithful worshipers of Jesus. Regardless of the circumstances and whether we're in the pit or the palace, you and I are called to be faithful 
worshipers of Jesus. And so to do that and to encourage you in that, you don't need an inspirational word. We, we've got a lot of inspirational preaching that makes us feel good in our country. And Paul told Timothy that in the last days, there's that phrase again, in the last days that people would gather around them teachers who just tell them what they want to hear and make them feel good and make them comfortable. That's an evil demonic spirit that leads us to just be told what we want to hear and to gather around us people who will tell us what we want to hear. No, make no mistake, the word of God, the inspired word of God is what we need, not inspirational messages. We need the inspired word of God. And sometimes the inspired word of God will comfort you. Sometimes it will challenge you and convict you. But it will always lead you to change and it will give you the power to change. And so we need the inspired word of God that we might be faithful worshipers of Jesus. And when you study the scripture in context, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, you will quickly find out the scripture is about being a faithful worshiper of Jesus, not steps to live your best life now. That's what the scripture is all about. It's about Jesus. It's about being a faithful worshiper of Jesus. It's not a step-by-step -step practical, step-by-step -step process on how to live your best life. That's what we hear a lot in our country today, but that's not, that's not what the scripture is about. It's about being a faithful worshiper of Jesus. So open your Bible, open it on your app, your physical Bible, uh, open our app, the City Church Lubbock, download it in your app store, uh, then open it up and click message notes and the verses and the points will all be there for you and you can email yourself all those notes when you are done. So let's go, Daniel chapter six, starting in verse one. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Some translations say Daniel distinguished himself. Maybe your translation says that. He distinguished himself among all the other people. Because of Daniel's great ability, some translations say, and I like this better, because of the exceptional spirit that was inside of him. I just, I, I like that better because I think it more accurately communicates what's happening here. But because of Daniel's great ability, this exceptional spirit that's inside of him, the king, watch this, made plans to place him over the entire empire. So once again, God is giving supernatural favor to Daniel in a pagan kingdom, an idolatrous kingdom, to have some influence, to have some power. This is the supernatural favor of God on Daniel's life. And Daniel at this point in his life is about 80 or 90 years old. He's got gray hair, he's an old man, okay? Now you might be thinking, well, Clayton, how old is old? Like, well, if you're in your 80s or 90s, it's just, I think most of us think that that's old, right? I mean, a lot of times people ask me, you know, well, Clayton, how old is old? And just to give people, I said, well, it's older than me. If you're older than me, you're old, right? But I've got gray hair. I've got it coming in. Mark, this week, one of our pastors, he texted me. He said, hey, Clayton, I'm praying Proverbs 16 over you. And I looked up Proverbs 16 and I read it. And I was like, oh, that's what he meant. It says that your gray hair will be a crown of glory around you. And I wrote him back and I just said, hey, buddy, I, I received that in Jesus' name. I'm just praying my, my gray hair will be a crown of glory. All right. So Daniel's an old man. 
He's a senior citizen. He's in, he's in the AARP. He's getting uh, discounts at the movie theaters and at the restaurants. Okay. He's an old man, but God is not done with him. You may retire from a job, but you don't ever retire from ministry. You don't ever retire from being a faithful worshiper of Jesus. You don't ever retire from your devotion to God. We worship and serve Jesus and make disciples for Jesus till the day we die. You don't ever retire from ministry as a follower of Jesus. And so Daniel is a spirit-filled, gray-haired old man, and God's got big plans for him. God's not done with him yet. And so let me just say to those of you who have some gray hair, we need you at the City Church. You are wanted, you are needed here at the City Church. I need you because I'm younger than you. I need your wisdom. I need your prayer. We need you in kids' classes and in youth classes and in college classes. We need you leading small groups for young married people. We need you making disciples in and through our church if we are going to be the church that God has called us to be. There's no doubt about it. We need you. God is not done with you if you got gray hair. God is not done with you if you've retired from your job. God's got big plans for you. I know a lady named Benita that lives in Bangkok, Thailand right now. She's a retired school teacher. And uh, she retired from her vocational job, but she knew God wasn't done with her yet. In fact, his plans were just really beginning for her. And as an old woman, a retired school teacher, she moved to Bangkok and she started a ministry to rescue girls out of sex slavery, to bring them into their home, to feed them, to educate them, and to give them job training and skills so that they could provide for themselves and their kids and their families doing something other than the sex industry. She's an old woman with gray hair, but man, she loves Jesus. And she is serving Jesus. And they are rescuing girls out of that ministry, bringing them into their home. It's grown. Now they've got a lot of girls there. They've got all kinds of staff there. God was not done with her. And God is using her to do big things in Bangkok, Thailand, making disciples for Jesus. Daniel distinguished himself among the others. And there was an exceptional spirit inside of him that gave him these great abilities and the supernatural wisdom, gave him a good attitude. But it's not him, it's the Holy Spirit inside of him. Daniel is a spirit-filled, gray-haired old man and God is using him to do great and impossible things. And the Holy Spirit enables Daniel to be in Babylon, but not of Babylon. To be in Persia, but not of Persia. To be in Persia, to be a witness to Persia. And that's the same thing the Spirit of God wants to do in you and in me. Enable us to be in the world, but not of the world. A witness to the world, but not of the world. And we need here at the city church some spirit-filled, gray-haired old people that can show us and lead us in that. Let's keep going. So the jealousy of some of these other officials is aroused, right? I mean, they see Daniel advancing, that he's over the 120 different other leaders. And look in verse three, the king has plans to bring him and to raise him into power over the entire empire. And so some of these other officials get jealous. 
and uh, they try to dig up some dirt on their rival politician, right? They're, they're digging for the dirt. They're trying to figure out some flaw in his character or professional life or political life in order to bring a charge against him to King Darius, but they can't find anything. They, they, they don't find any dirt to run their, uh, their, their, their smear campaigns on, right? They, they don't find any dirt to post about or to run commercials on, you know, so, so that he doesn't get that job. But they're trying to. They're trying to find something against him. You see, when you're faithful to God, it's not gonna be easy and it's not gonna come without resistance. And a lot of us, especially when we first start following Jesus, we find the people around us and sometimes those closest to us are the ones that are actually trying to hold us down the most because they don't like the change that's happening in our life. And so you get the haters in your life that discourage you or make fun of you or try to tempt you because they don't like what's going on in your life. Your faithfulness to God, being a faithful worshiper of Jesus will always come with resistance from somewhere because your enemy, Satan, wants none of it. And he wants to steal worship from the one true God. And so he's gonna try to steal, kill, and destroy your life. He's gonna try to take you down and he's gonna use the spirit of Babylon and he's gonna use other people in your life to discourage you and resist you and to confuse you because he's trying to steal worship from God. And he wants to bring you down. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to come without resistance. And these leaders go to Darius and they say, we're all in agreement. Look in verse seven. We're all in agreement. All the administrators, the officials, the high officers, the advisors, and the governors, we're all in agreement, King Darius, that here's what we think you should do. We think you should make this order that says, if anyone prays to any other God other than to you, so they're saying, Darius, first of all, you're, you're divine, and if anyone prays to any other God except to you, we should throw him in the lion's den. And King Darius, because of his own insecurity and pride, thinks, oh, that sounds good. You know, I'm a man of the people. If they need me to be God for a month, for 30 days, I'll do what they need me to do. If that's what you need from me to be your God for 30 days, man, I'm just, I'm a servant of the people. Sure, sure. You know, it's not what I want, but it's what the people want, all right? And so I'll be their God for 30 days, right? And so he gives in. But these leaders, these administrators, part of their trick is convincing Darius that we all think this. This is what we all think. This is what we all believe. It's a cunning trick. And husbands, wives, how often do we make some of those exact same claims? You never do this. You always do this. I, I never do that. I always do this. I never do that. We exaggerate. And that's the pervasive spirit of Babylon that's rising up inside of us. that doesn't want to own our own issues and it wants to make it seem like it's something it's not. Now, I never do that. I've never, I've never, ever, ever once ever done anything like that. But, but that's what we all do, right? We all do this. And that's what these officials do in order to trick Darius into following their plan. They come up with this great trick that is wins the day through this manipulation. This is what we all think. This is what we all believe should happen. And they make Darius, through his insecurity and pride, issue this decree where he's going to be the only priestly mediator during this period. And his role 
as mediator, prayers to the gods, or if you're a Hebrew, to the one true God were to be offered through him rather than through the priest. They're basically saying, Darius, be our God for a month, and he complies. Insecurity and pride are always dangerous, and they both always lead to making yourself a God, to doing things your own way. They always lead to delusional thinking, insecurity, and pride. You see, the spirit of Babylon wants to create a counterfeit God and a counterfeit worship of God and counterfeit ways to God when the scripture says there is one mediator between us and God. Now, in the old covenant, that was the sacrificial system and that was the priesthood that would offer the sacrifices on your behalf so that you could have a relationship with God and so that you could worship God. But in the new covenant, all that's gone away because we have one priest who died in our place for our sin, the Lamb of God. His name is Jesus, who died in our place for our sin so that we might have a relationship with God, so that we could go straight to God, straight to the throne of God through our one high priest, Jesus, who lives forever. And so Paul says this to Timothy. There's only one mediator between us and God, and that is the man, the God-man, Christ Jesus. One mediator. There is no other mediator, Paul said, between us and God. So, so watch this. You don't pray to God, and you don't worship God, and you don't come to God or have a relationship with God through me, through any human priest, through a picture, an icon, some other saint, a necklace, a bracelet, whatever it is, you don't go to God through any of those things. There's one mediator between us and God. There's only one way to God. There's only one way to worship God. There's only one way to pray to God. And that is through the God-man, Jesus Christ. That is the one mediator to the one and only God. So there is no other mediator. The spirit of Babylon will lead us to think that there are many gods and there are many ways to every god. There's however many ways you want to come up with. Whatever way you can come up with, that's the way to God and whatever God that you choose. That's the spirit of Babylon creating and tempting us with counterfeits. It's a demonic, evil, satanic spirit that leads people to believe there are many gods or many ways to many gods. God's divine revelation of himself in his word says that there is one true God, there's one God, and he's it, and there's one way to God, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. And when you ignore God's divine revelation of himself, you begin to come up with this foolish idea, Paul says in Romans 1. Paul says, left to ourselves, we come up with foolish ideas about who God is and what he's like and how to have a relationship with him. We come up with foolish, delusional ideas about who God is. And how to get to him, Paul says. I'm not saying that. Paul said that in Romans chapter 1 in your Bible. That's what the spirit of Babylon leads us to do. To ignore God's divine revelation of himself in his word and how to have a relationship with him, how to pray to him, how to worship him. When we ignore this, we come up with delusional thoughts. You know how, you know the other way we come up with delusional thoughts is when people tell us what we want to hear. Darius has these people around him that are just telling him what he wants to hear. They're, they're telling him things to make him feel good, to make him feel good about himself, to, 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 to increase his self-esteem. And what does it lead to when people tell you what you want to hear? It leads to delusional thinking. 
You see, that's why we need the inspired word of God that gives us a right view of ourselves and a right view of God and the way to know this one true God. We need God's word, the divine revelation of God where he has made himself knowable through his word and ultimately through his son, Jesus. And when we ignore God's revelation of himself or when we don't believe it, we're actually following Satan. And he is stealing and killing and destroying your life as we ignore God's revelation of himself. All right, let's keep going. Verse 10. Verse 10, so Darius signs the law. This is the, the law for 30 days. Daniel finds out about it in verse 10. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down, watch this, as usual. I circled that in my Bible. Underline this verse, highlight this verse, circle these words. He knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his window open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done. This isn't a new thing for him. He's not figuring this out now that, that times are tough. This is something he had always done. As usual, he's giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. Daniel learns of this law and he's got some options. He could take a 30-day vacation from God. I mean, clearly, God has abandoned him, right? I mean, this is what he could think. God, you've left me. You've been, here I, I find myself in the pit again. Here I find myself once again facing being a, a, a faithful worshiper of the one true God or death. I mean, come on, God. How many times can this happen? I've served you faithfully. So because you're taking a vacation from me, I'll take a vacation from you. And I'll just take 30 days off. That's, that's an option. He could be a hypocrite. He could compromise. He could argue with Darius. He could kill himself. He could run away. He could post on social media about the infringement of his religious liberty. There's all kinds of things he could do, but he doesn't do any of those. What does Daniel do? Daniel doesn't compromise. Daniel has faith in God. He's not afraid. He doesn't have faith in himself. He has faith in his God, that God's either going to deliver me through this or by it, but regardless, I'm not going to compromise. It may be that Daniel believed the way that Paul would end up believing that if I'm going to live, it's going to mean faithful and fruitful ministry for me because I don't ever retire from making disciples. So if I go on living, it's in order to faithfully minister for God, make disciples and worship God. If I'm gonna live, that's what my life's about. But Paul said in Philippians one, but for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I die, it's better by far, Paul said, because I get to go home and be with Jesus. And that would be better by far. So Paul said in his prison cell, God, you're either going to rescue me and you're going to deliver me from this pit or I'm going to die in this pit, but that would be better. And I would prefer that. And if God allows me to live, then I'm gonna faithfully worship him and minister for him and make disciples for him. But if I die in this pit, it's gonna be better by far. 
And I think Daniel had that same kind of faith. God, you're going to rescue me from the lions or you're going to rescue me by dying from the lions, through the lions. Because I'm going to get to go home and be with you, which would be better by far. Through it or by it. God, you're going to heal me of cancer or you're going to rescue me through cancer. I get to go home and be with you. The greatest miracle ever. So Daniel prays just as he always has done, unconcerned about the consequences of his actions. His custom was to pray and give thanks to God three times a day. And when this law passed forbidding him to pray, he did not change his religious behavior, nor did he hide it. His circumstances had no effect on his worship. You could say it like this, Daniel's problems didn't change his praise. Daniel's problems, being in the pit or in the palace, regardless of his circumstances, did not change his praise. And it didn't change how public his praise was. Daniel's religious convictions were not hidden. His faith is public. He opens the windows. He's not denying or trying to hide anything. This old prophet was not a secret disciple. No, he was a man who was unashamed to let others know that his allegiance was to God, even if it meant death. Daniel doesn't panic. He prays. You see, when there's nothing you can do, there's still one thing you can do. When you have nowhere else to turn, you still have somewhere to turn. Daniel doesn't panic. He prays. In prayer, the one thing you can do and there's nothing else you can do. Prayer isn't as much about God changing the future. Prayer is about God changing you and preparing you for the future he has for you. That's what God does in and through prayer. So let me ask you this. Would your current prayer life get you in trouble if you were Daniel? Would your current devotion to both private and public or corporate prayer get you in trouble if you were Daniel? Think about it. How often are you in private prayer? How often are you in corporate prayer, joining together with other followers of Jesus to pray and cry out to God? Would your current devotion to prayer get you in trouble if you were Daniel? Well, the officials tell Darius about Daniel and Darius is upset. Now, not upset like Nebuchadnezzar was upset at the three men who defied his decree, Darius is upset because he loves Daniel, because he respects Daniel, and maybe even selfishly because Daniel is a leader in his government and he's made him a leader in his government and God has blessed Daniel's leadership in his government. So, so maybe it's selfish, but, but Darius loves Daniel. God has supernaturally once again given Daniel favor in the eyes of the king and Darius loves Daniel. Look in verse 16. It says this, so the king gives these orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown in the lion's den. And then look what he says to him. May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. <laughs> Darius throws him into the pit, but then hopes that his God will rescue him. 
In other words, it's like Darius wants what's best for him, even though he's throwing him into the pit. And this also tells us that Daniel must have been telling Darius about the great things that God had done for him and his people. Daniel must have been teaching Darius the scriptures because Darius knows that Daniel's God is a God who rescues miraculously. And he actually says, may your God, whom you serve so faithfully. So, so Darius is speaking of his knowledge of Daniel's God. May he rescue you. Probably, Darius is thinking, may your God rescue you in the same way he rescued your people from slavery to Egypt and parted the Red Sea. Maybe he, maybe he rescued you in the same way he rescued your, your people in the desert as your God supernaturally provided for you. May, may he rescued you like he rescued David from the hands of Goliath and your people from the hands of the Philistines. May he rescue you, Daniel. Darius cares about Daniel and he knows of the power of his God. And then he has a stone rolled over this pit of death and he puts his royal seal on it. And for some of you, that sounds a little familiar. And if it doesn't, I'll explain that to you here in just a little bit. But King Darius has a stone rolled over a pit of death and puts a seal on it. Verse 18. Then the king returned to his palace, watch this, and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. He's disturbed by what's going on. He, he doesn't want Daniel to die. In fact, he's so disturbed, a king refuses the entertainment that a king would receive at night. Now, I don't think you have to have a wild imagination to know what Darius is turning down here, uh, but Darius is clearly very upset because he's refusing the normal kingly entertainment for the night, okay? So very early the next morning, the king got up, watch this, he hurries out to the lion's den and when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant, <laughs> there it is again, servant of the living God, Darius knows about Daniel's God. Was your God whom you serve, watch this, so faithfully, you serve him faithfully, regardless of the cost, regardless of the sacrifice, whether you're in the pit of the palace, you serve your God so faithfully. Was he able to rescue you from the lions? Verse 21, Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed in order that Daniel be lifted from this den of death. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Daniel trusted in his God. And so he was delivered from death, not in himself. He trusted in his God, not in his best effort, not in trying harder. Daniel trusted in his God and he was delivered from death without a scratch on him. Now, people have asked for thousands of years, who is this angel? Who is this angel that shuts the mouth of the lions. It might have been a member of the angelic host. The, the millions upon millions upon millions of angels that continually worship and serve God. Or it was 
the angel of the Lord. And when you read in the Old Testament about the angel of the Lord, most scholars believe that is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Jesus. That's Jesus showing up. Just like I believe he showed up in the fiery furnace, I believe Jesus shows up here in the lion pit with Daniel. And God rescues Daniel from death through Jesus. There's not a scratch on him. That's what God always does. Remember, Daniel's not just about what happened. It's about what's happening and it's about what always happens. God rescues his servant, Daniel, through a mediator. I believe it's Jesus. He rescues him through Jesus from death. So why did the lions not eat Daniel? Well, maybe Daniel's a lion whisperer. You ever seen that show, The Dog Whisperer? I mean, those guys can get dogs to do things I can never even dream of or imagine, right? I mean, they got all kinds of tricks up there. Maybe Daniel's a, a lion whisperer. Or maybe, like Charles Spurgeon said, a famous preacher in the 1800s, Spurgeon said this about Daniel, he's old. His skin and his meat were tough and wrinkly and no lion wants that. He's an old man, didn't have any meat on his bones. Tasted like jerky. I can't stand beef jerky. It's too tough, right? Maybe the, maybe the lions didn't, didn't like beef jerky. Um, some critics have said, well, maybe the, the lions weren't hungry. And so they didn't eat Daniel. No, I, I believe that these lions met the lion king. They met the king of the lions. They, they met the lion of the tribe of Judah. They met their maker. And that's why they didn't eat Daniel. God rescued Daniel from death through Jesus. Verse 24, look what happens next. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown in the lion's den along with their wives and children. And the lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. That's not in my kid's Bible. I don't know about you. Uh, you only get that when you read the actual scripture, okay? Most of the time when we hear this story, we learn about how God delivers. We don't learn about how God still and does destroy. See, if you know Daniel's God, you get delivered. If you don't know Daniel's God, you're destroyed. And God still delivers. But make no mistake, God still destroys. God hates sin. And because he is perfectly and eternally holy and righteous and just, God punishes sin. You break man's law, you pay man's fine. You break God's law, you pay God's fine. And God's fine for sin is eternity separated from him in a place called hell. And hell is not Vegas. Hell, the scripture teaches us, is the eternal conscious punishment of the wicked. That's the fine for breaking God's law. You've offended an eternally holy and righteous God. And so the fine is eternal. That's the punishment for sin. God delivers through his son, Jesus. And if you don't know Daniel's God, Jesus, then you're destroyed in your sin. 
And so I would invite you today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, to place your faith in Jesus today. It was him, him who died on the cross to pay the fine for your sin. And it was him who rose again three days later, conquering sin, conquering death. And so Jesus said, if you believe in me, even though you die, that's the penalty for sin. The penalty of sin is death. Even though you die, you will live. I'm the resurrection of life. Everyone who believes in me, even though they die, they will live. Give your life to Jesus today so that your sin, past, present, and future can be forgiven. You can be made right with God and you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. Give your life to Jesus today and be delivered from death just like Daniel was. Jump on our app, fill out our connect form. Let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today if that's you. But what a great day to be delivered from your sin, delivered from death and to have a right relationship with God. That could be yours today. You could be delivered from death today by giving your life to Jesus. God still delivers, God still destroys. And just a side note here, these men, are thrown into the pit with their wives and children. Men, my, my prayer for you and I as faithful worshipers of Jesus is that we will be a blessing to our family, that we won't bring destruction to our families. See, oftentimes men make decisions that, that hurt their wives and their kids, that destroy their families. And my prayer for you and I is that by the Holy Spirit and by God's grace, you and I will be a blessing to our families, that we will lead our families spiritually into life and into blessing, not into destruction. And so through the Holy Spirit's power and by God's grace, and as we live according to his word, my, my prayer is, is that we will have men here at the city church that are a blessing to their families and not a curse. Verse 25, then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Underline that, highlight that. He sends this, 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 this message to every race and nation and language throughout the world. And here's what the message says. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. You see, it's our willingness to risk even our own lives that will turn the heads of the culture that surrounds us. Our complaints, our legislative efforts, our social media posts, our attempts to compel people to live according to our standards of morality will only close their ears. But when we read Daniel 6, you can't help but see the power of quiet faithfulness and the way it changes the people around us. And we can see this evidenced in the closing words of Darius here in Daniel chapter six, where he sends out this decree to every race and nation and language and says that it's God, Daniel's God, who is the living God that endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people and he performs miraculous signs and wonders. I mean, once again, the God of the Old Testament is called a God who 
rescues by a pagan, idolatrous, polytheistic ruler. I mean, when people like Darius, who are pagan, who are idolatrous, who, who, who worship a litany of gods come in contact with this God. They don't say this is a God who hates people and who is bloodthirsty and who is angry. No, their encounter with God leads them to believe that this God is a God who rescues, that this is what is at the heart of God, to rescue people from every race and nation and language. And he sends out this decree to all nations that Daniel's God is the living God. God uses an evil king, an evil situation to send out a decree to all nations that the God of Daniel is the one true God. Fulfilling his covenant to Abraham, that Abraham, through your seed, all the families on earth are gonna be blessed. I'm about all the families on earth. I'm about all the nations. I'm gathering all the nations to worship me. I mean, God is using an evil king, an evil situation to work things together to fulfill Revelation chapter seven that is yet to happen. Where people from every tribe, tongue, and race will be before the Lamb of God, Jesus, and will kneel and worship him. That, that's the end. Where people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and race will worship the Lamb of God, will worship Jesus. That's what God is doing. That's his will. Is to bring together people from every tribe, tongue, and race to worship his son, Jesus. And so God, through this evil, idolatrous, polytheistic ruler, leads him and orchestrates things that he might send out this letter so that all nations might know the God of Daniel. You see, God is always working things together for our good and his glory, for our ultimate good and for his ultimate glory. And so the people of God need only to preach and pray. Because in spite of present circumstances, Daniel 6 shows us in spite of present appearances, our God is in control. He is sovereign and he is working all things together for our good and his glory. So people of God, Christian, our job is to preach and pray and preach and pray. We don't prepare ourselves for war or need to fight for our rights. The example of Daniel, Jesus himself, Jesus' disciples in the New Testament is to prepare to risk it all. Even our lives, you and I, follower of Jesus, we win by losing. We win by dying. And that is what God and how God has worked all throughout church history. I mean, when you read the book of Acts, the gospel spreads through the blood of the martyrs. Not by fighting, not by demonizing, not by rallying troops together, not through campaigning. All throughout church history, God is always using the blood of martyrs to advance the gospel and to change people's hearts. Christian, our job is to preach and pray and preach and pray. The early church prayed and fasted and then prayed some more and then fasted some more and then prayed some more and then preached some and then prayed some more. And when they were told to stop praying and stop preaching in the name of Jesus, you know what they did? They went home and prayed and they went out and preached and they went home and prayed and they went out and preached. That was their response to the persecution 
they faced. And when Daniel heard this law forbidding him to pray, he did not rally the troops for a strike or an armed resistance. He prepared himself for death. He went home and did the exact thing that would get him killed. You see, Christians do not fight for our beliefs. We don't even fight for liberty. We don't rally, we don't demonize, we don't assault, we don't kill, we die. And Paul said that's better by far. Because not only does it result in the greatest miracle for you and I, Christian, it's what ultimately changes people's hearts. So here's my question for you. How do you live? How do you worship when you don't get the life that you want? When things in our country aren't going the way that you want them to go, when the weather isn't going the way we would like it to go, when your job, your finances are not going the way that you want them to go, when you're not out there living your best life, how do you live? How do you worship? Here's what Daniel responds to the roller coaster he found himself on. Daniel was faithful. Daniel was faithful in the pit and the palace and persecution. Daniel was faithful. And faithfulness, first of all, is being consistent. Faithfulness is being consistent. Daniel is faithful in persecution, in the pit, in the palace. When everything around Daniel is shaking, he is unshakable. When everything around Daniel is changing constantly, he doesn't change by God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Daniel still lives with a discipline and consistency that he had always lived with. As he always did, as usual, he knelt down and prayed. You see, it's small investments over time, of time, over time, that will bring the return that you're looking for. This is true in every area of life, but it's certainly true spiritually. It's small investments of time, over time, will bring the return that you're looking for. It's true when you read the Bible. It's true when you pray. It's true when you go to church or worship together with other followers of Jesus or in a small group and community. It's those small investments over time that will end up bringing the faith and the spiritual life that you need and that you're looking for. Secondly, faithfulness is having character. That's what we learned from Daniel. Faithfulness is having character. Daniel is committed to the Lord, both behind the scenes in his home and out in public in front of other people to see. You see, when your commitment behind the scenes matches what's on stage, matches what's public, that's called integrity. Integrity is when your commitment behind the scenes matches what's on stage. You see, what you do in the shadows is just as important as what you do on stage. And what you do in the shadows sets up what you will do on stage. Faithfulness in private prepares you for faithfulness in public. And you see, Dan Daniel's private life and his public life, they, they match up. And that's called integrity. It's called character. Faithfulness is having character. And then finally, faithfulness is displaying courage. Faithfulness is displaying courage. In spite of the consequences, in spite of the cost, Daniel goes home, he opens his window, he's not hiding anything, he's got a public faith, he's got a public witness. He doesn't panic, he prays. And so he's able to pet the lion. You see, it's prayer that produces this kind of courage. 
Typically, we're courageous in high moments and compromise in the lower moments, but prayer produces the courage for the highs and the lows. And courage is infectious. Compromise is infectious, but so is courage. When, when Darius is surrounded by people who want to compromise with the officials, he compromises. But when he sees the life of Daniel, willing to worship and serve his God so faithfully, in spite of the cost, it inspires courage in Darius. And so courage is infectious. Typically we compromise to save ourselves, but courage means dying to ourselves. Courage isn't about success or results. We pray for courage to be faithful worshipers of Jesus. Now, if you look at this list and you're like, man, I, I'm not too faithful. <laughs> I'm not that consistent. I don't have a lot of character. I'm, I'm not that courageous. Like that, that's not me. Good news. It's not me either. I don't look at this list and I'm like, man, I'm, I've got all of those on lockdown. Like check, check, check. I'm faithful. I'm not there. And I'm pretty sure you aren't either. And so here's the mistake. Here's the most dangerous mistake we could make leaving this place. Well, I'm gonna do better and try harder. I'm gonna be more consistent and, I, and I'm gonna have more character and I'm gonna be more courageous. I'm gonna be just like Daniel. That would be a huge and dangerous mistake because you're not Daniel. The scripture doesn't point to you. The scripture points to Jesus. Daniel is about Jesus. Jesus is the greater Daniel because all of the scripture and every story points to Jesus. Let me show you how Jesus is the greater Daniel real quick. Both of these men had false charges against them. Both of these men were arrested. Both of these men, Daniel and Jesus, were sentenced to death. Both men were innocent of the charges against him. Both men were thrown into a pit and left for dead. Both men had a pit covered with a stone and both men had on that stone a government seal put on that stone over their tomb. Both had friends run to their tomb the next day. Both men were raised from the pit and raised a second in command over their kingdoms. Both men conquered death. Both men had their enemies thrown into a pit. Revelation tells us that one day the beast and Satan and all those who follow them will be thrown into the fiery lake of fire. Jesus is the fulfillment of Daniel, not you. And so Paul says, Christian, your hope, my hope of being faithful is found in Christ himself. It's Christ in me. That's my hope of glory. That's my hope of faithfulness. It's God's exceptional Holy Spirit living inside of me and moving me. And it's Christ in me. That's my hope. It's not in my best ability or my trying harder or doing better to be more like Daniel. No, 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 no. My faith, my hope is in Christ alone. You see, the book of Daniel isn't about just what happened. It's about what does happen. It's about what is happening. It's about what's going to happen. Watch this. Daniel and his friends were in the palace in Judah 
and they are brought to the pit in Babylon, back to the palace in Babylon, to the pit in the fire, back to the palace again in Babylon, to the palace in Persia, to the pit in the lion's den, and now the palace again at the end of chapter six in Persia. This is the story of God. God delivers people from a pit through his son, Jesus, to the palace. And so now I invite you to stand as we worship, as our team leads us in worship. This life and this world is a pit and you may or may not prosper in this life, but Christian, trust me, God's word says you are headed to the palace. Make no mistake, you are headed to the palace. Your story is that Jesus will rescue you from this pit and raise you up to his palace. God, we thank you for the great news of Jesus who rescues us from this pit, who rescues us from death and raises us up to his palace. And so God, I pray that right now through the Holy Spirit, you would fill our hearts with hope in Jesus because it's Christ in us. He's our hope of glory. He's our hope of being faithful worshipers of Jesus. So Holy Spirit, fill our hearts in this moment with courage. Fill our hearts in this moment with character. Fill our hearts in this moment with a commitment to consistency. Christ, our hope is in you. It's in his name we pray, amen.